Been thinking a lot about preparation. I have a saying at home, and I have it written out. It's this, if you fail to prepare, you're preparing to fail, right? And most of us know that. That success is where preparation and opportunity meet. That preparation is really, really important. And if you think about it, if you have a big test you need to take, what do you need to do? Prepare. If you have this job interview and it's a job interview that you know it's the job of your dream, what do you need to do? Be prepared, right? Christmas. Christmas take any preparation? (laughs) Who here is finished with their Christmas shopping? I'm raising my hand not because I'm done. I'm just demonstrating what you would do if you are, (laughs) right? Yesterday, I went out shopping with my son, Myron. The Saturday before Christmas is the worst day to go Christmas shopping, right? There's nothing left, but everybody's out. It's like, this is as bad as it gets. Is this hell? I think this is hell. I felt sorry for Myron. I'm like, sorry, buddy. We're in a line that took us 20 minutes to get through. Like, he just sat there. He's just the best kid in the world. I'm like, I'm freaking out right now. You're amazing, right? So it takes preparation. If you're gonna have a great Christmas feast, what does it take? Yeah, thank the cooks, whoever they are. Um, If you want your kids to love Jesus and graduate from high school, maybe go to college and get a great job, what do you need to do? Take away Snapchat. (laughs) Not a joke, you don't have to laugh. If you're gonna have a baby, what do you need to do? Freak out, because it's coming for you. (laughs) Life is turned upside down. Right? We know this, right? Preparation takes it. If 2021 is the end of the world, what do you need to do? Doomsday prepper, right? Get, watch that show over and over and over. Dig your bumper. D- Dig your bunker. That's what I'm looking for. Life takes preparation. So we have this week a celebration of the greatest event that ever took place in history. The Apostle Paul, who is a theologian, he says this, great is this mystery that God would manifest in the flesh and dwell among us. It's a mystery to him. A guy that authors half of the New Testament just says, this one's a mystery. This thing, this incarnation, it is a mystery. Now, if it's the biggest event in history and our calendars turn on this event, right? A, B, C versus A, D. If our calendar actually turns on this, no matter what they try to do, it still turns on it. You can change the name of it to current era if you want. It still doesn't change the fact that current era started with the birth of Jesus. So do whatever you want to do, right? If it's that big of an event, don't you think God prepped for it? And what you see in the Bible is absolutely. God is preparing for this event really from the very, very beginning. So if you have your Bible, we're gonna look at the preparation God makes for this event. We're just gonna cover a couple in the Old Testament, then we'll jump into the story. Genesis chapter three, verse 14. Yahweh God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, And above all the beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go and eat and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the very first time this plan, this preparation is made known by God. And God is speaking to the serpent after the serpent has deceived Adam and Eve into eating of the forbidden fruit. And God says to the serpent, he says this, your days are numbered. You're gonna eat dirt from this day forward. And one day there's coming the offspring of the woman, literally the seed of the woman, and it's going to crush your head. Wow, this is profound to the ancients. Because if you could go back, this was written 3,500 years ago. The ancients believed this. They believed that babies came from men and the woman was simply the incubator for the man's baby. That's what they believed, right? They did not have seventh grade sex education the most awkward middle school class in history, made to embarrass every child. Like, you gotta go through this to write a passage. I'm sorry, son, right? They did not have that. They didn't know about zygotes and meiosis. They didn't know any of that. And yet you have God saying this, this child that's gonna be born is unique. No human male will be involved. It'll be the offspring of a woman, literally the seed of a woman. That's in the very beginning. And he's gonna crush this serpent's head. That's preparation. And then it gets even better. If you flip forward now to Genesis chapter 12, you have what's called the Abrahamic covenant. God speaks to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and God says this. He says, now Yahweh said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this one that's coming is gonna crush the chaos monster but even more than that, this one that's coming is gonna come through the line of Abraham, one of his descendants, and because of him, every family on earth is going to be blessed. That's a pretty amazing prophecy. 4,000 years ago, this nomadic dude living in a desert is told, hey, you're gonna have a kid. You're gonna have a son. And this son because of him, every family on the planet will be blessed. Has every family on earth been blessed because of Jesus? I think so. It's important to note this because there is a way right now that we are rewriting our history. Do you know that? It's rewriting history to change things for the meta-narrative that's being pushed on us today. It's like 1984, right? All those books were, look out for this. 
that if you control history, you control the future. If you can say history look like this, then you can project out a whole different way that the world is going. And we're watching that happen right now. It's rewriting things. And like, this is stuff I study. Like nobody knows this, but the big C church, not little C church, big C church for hundreds of years opposed slavery. Do you ever hear that? Like there are writings of that over and over. None of that, right? Instead, what they find is some crazy preacher in the 1800s in the deep South saying something else. Well, you're always gonna find some crazy preacher saying something nutty. Like that's just always going to happen. You can look at big C church, what was it saying? And it was absolutely opposed to slavery, 100%. It's out of the church came Wilbur, William Force. (laughs) Man, William Wilbur Force who was the linchpin that finally pushed slavery and made it outlawed in the British government. And then from there, it was dominoes that fell, right? No one knows that though. Said it's, no, you guys have always been wrong. No way. How about our education system? Yeah, someone's, oh, there's good parts of the education, being educated, right? Education was something that for most of human history was reserved for nobles, rich people, You educated your kids and that way they kept wealth to them. But the church came in and the church had this really crazy idea that there wasn't nobles and peasants that actually were all image bearers of God. Where did that come from? Genesis 1, right? Genesis 1 written to mud brick baking slaves to Egypt, to Pharaoh who thought he was a God and everyone else wasn't. And all of a sudden God says, "Uh uh-uh, it's level. You're all my image bearers. And if we're all image bearers, we should all be educated. And that's what happened. So you all of a sudden have education begin to move out. And they were formed because of the Bible and by Christians. Healthcare. You know, healthcare came from Christians. So prior to Christians, when there was a plague in a city, guess what happened? The rich left to their nice thousand acre vineyard out in the countryside and just let the city literally die. And then animals would come in, clean up the city, and then they'd move back in. That's how plagues went. All of a sudden, Christians said, uh-uh, this is wrong. You can't let people die like that because they're image bearers of God. And so Christians stayed in the cities and they found that if you would care for somebody that got sick, feed them, protect them from wild animals, care for them, that about half of them would get better. And so all of a sudden they're like, hey, you just don't want to let sick people die. You can care for them and they get better. What a novel idea. And out of that came modern healthcare, right? There's a professor, he's from OSU. His name is Dr. Ferngren. He write, he's not a Christian. He just wrote an entire study on that, like the healthcare that came out of the Christian mindset of caring for people. Radical, radical. Have all the families of earth been blessed by Jesus? Absolutely. I'll give you one more. In the 17th century, this group of intellectuals got together. Guys like John Milton, Benedict Spinoza, Thomas Harp, John Locke, like really big intellectuals in the 1600s. And they took the Bible. Some of them were atheists. They did not believe in God. But they took the Bible and they came up with what they called their five principles for civilization. You can look this up. Social contract, um, Moral limits of power, which was radical. Because before that, it was kings could do whatever they wanted. 
You're the king, do what you want. They said, no, that there are limits to what a king should and should not be able to do. Doctrine of tolerance. Tolerance is not agreeing with everybody. Tolerance is this, how you treat someone you disagree with. That's tolerance. And they said, we should be able to tolerate people with different ideas and not just kill them because they disagree with us. Radical concept, right? Doctrine of toleration. Um, Liberty of conscience, meaning you're allowed to pursue what you believe is right. Pretty novel idea. And then lastly, basic human rights for every single person. Those five principles are the foundation of Western civilization. It's what America was founded on, those five rights. If you're saying, what does that matter? It matters because it allows you and me, it allows me to do what I'm doing right here, speak, right? Where in some countries, they're very small now, Saudi Arabia, Iran, some places in China. You can't just say what you want. Try in Saudi Arabia saying exactly what you want to say. You can get your head cut off really, really quick. It's why even today we're like, we find that so intolerable. Like what in the world? Why? Because we know that's not right. Well, the only reason why we have those rights is some guys got together in the 1600s and said, hey, let's set out what every image bearer of God should be able to have based on scripture. It's the rights that America was founded on, those things right there, okay? Every family on earth is being blessed because of the seed of the woman, okay? Let's keep going. Second Samuel chapter seven, God speaking to David, his king. And so God says to David this, Second Samuel chapter seven, verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The seed of the woman that's going to bless all the nations of earth, he's going to be a king in the line of David, right? Now it's getting narrower and narrower. I'll give one more. I could give hundreds of these. I'll give one more. Micah chapter five, Verse two, you guys know this one, this one's known. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Gives the very birthplace of Jesus 400 years at least before he was born there. How incredible is that? And if you know the Christmas story, you know it actually took work to get them there, right? So Mary is great with child, she is pregnant, but they are living up in Nazareth, which is about 100 miles north of Bethlehem. And God God needs to get pregnant Mary down 100 miles south to Bethlehem. So what does he do? He has Rome, the most powerful nation on earth, maybe the most powerful empire ever. He has Rome decide, we're gonna do a census. So everybody needs to go back to their birth town so we can count them, right? How amazing is that? Because God needed to move pregnant Mary 100 miles south. He makes the Caesar of the most powerful empire in history decide to have a census so that she travels 100 miles south. You know what that tells me? God uses governments like Legos to build what he wants. 
So I don't worry about government. I don't worry about that stuff. I just know God has a plan, Ephesians 1.10. He is going to bring it to pass no matter what. No one's gonna stand in the way. No election is going to ruin that. I'm not worried. God is going to get his plan done. And he does that with a pagan empire called Rome. Gets Mary down south. Now imagine that for a second though. Ladies, you are great with child. She's probably 15 years old, great with child. She has to travel a hundred miles south without a car, before the trains, right? It's probably a hike. How would you like that? Would you denounce your faith right then and there? No, I don't believe this anymore. I'm out, right? Well, maybe she was on a donkey. Is that any better? Have you ever seen a donkey? I mean, how rough a ride is that? Like, I gotta go pee, I gotta go pee, right? That was insane. Bummer. Have you ever been on a road trip with someone you loved and had issues? You don't have to say so. We all know it's true. Can you imagine newlywed couple, right? Newlywed couple, 15-year-old, great with child. Can you imagine the issues they might have on that trip? I can't wait to TiVo this in heaven, man. Just God's reality show right there. So God moves them down because, because of this preparation. He will be born in the city of David. How amazing is that? Talk about preparation. He's gonna be the chaos monster crusher. He's gonna bring a absolute blessing to all the families of earth. He's going to be a king that rules and is, he's from ancient of days. That word ancient of days in Micah 5.2 is an absolute reference to God because that is his name, Right? This isn't some ruler that's just appearing. This is a ruler who's from old, from ancient of days. He's God in the flesh. Preparation. Now you come to the New Testament. Matthew. So a lot of Christmas messages focus on Mary because she's brilliant and she's amazing. No doubt about it. And they should. Her song is one of the most incredible songs recorded in Luke, just theologically thick. But I wanna talk about someone else that God prepared. And it's a man. His name is Joseph. And the reason why is this, because today it seems to me in our culture, men are portrayed two ways. The first way is like from the Me Too movement that men are these lustful, needful, might, I'm gonna do what I want creatures, right? On that side, take what I want. Or the other side is this, men are idiots. So I watch kids' movies because I have kids. Here's what almost every kid movie does now today. The hero of the kid movie is a girl with her pet, like a dog or a cat or a guinea pig or a hamster. They save the day because the dad is a fool. Watch them. And it's putting something in our kids' minds about men, about dads, that they're fools, okay? So I believe something that's totally unpolitically correct. I believe men matter, that they really matter that I am now 48 years old and I am watching men that I grew up with in high school have children that are photocopies of photocopies, bad photocopies of bad photocopies of bad photocopies, and it breaks my heart. Their, their kids are exactly like they are because men matter. What you do really, really matters, right? And the Bible says something. The Bible says something absolutely crazy. It says men and women are different. 
Like it's insane. I know it's insane. But the Bible says that. And I believe that. And we have different roles and different responsibilities. And ultimately, this man really mattered. And Joseph was prepared by Jesus or prepared by God to be exactly what Jesus needed, to be the stepfather that Jesus needed. And it's brilliant. And the more I read this, this past month, the more I thought, I wanna be like Joseph. I wanna be like Joseph. He's one of my heroes. So check this out. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, context. Marriage 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, very different from how we do it today, right? When we're looking for the one, right? The, the, the mythical one. That's not how it happened 2,000 years ago, okay? They had arranged marriages. And the closest I've ever got to a culture that maybe reflected this culture was I spent about a month in India. And India has arranged marriages. They have, that's the way they do it. And so I'm there and I got very close to the Palos family over there. And they had an older daughter and she was about 20 years old. She'd actually gone to England when she was 16 because she was that smart and, and gone to a university there and has, had a degree and everything. Just traveled the world. Her name is Percy. She was brilliant. And so I'm Western. I'm like, man, we do marriage right. And there's no way Percy's who's seen both of these could possibly like arranged marriages. So one day I'm, I just, I'm talking to her. I said, Percy's, like this whole arranged marriage thing, You've, you've seen the West, you've seen how we do things. I mean, what in the world? You can't possibly like arranged marriage is what she said to me. She goes, oh, I think it's awesome. She goes, how, how could I not want my dad's wisdom and advice and experience on one of the most important decisions I will ever make? I was like, Carissa, Isabella, Gabrielle, come here right now. Listen to this, record this. <laughs> Right? I was like, oh, that's, that's really good, actually. That's the way it was back then. And most likely, this marriage was arranged when they were kids. Right? That's when you would do it, five, six, seven-year-old. And you would know it. You would grow up knowing, hey, I'm going to be married to her. It was just the normal thing. One day, we'll get married. So Joseph and Mary have grown up in this city. They've known each other. They know they're getting married, right? And then one day, Mary comes to Joseph and says, I'm pregnant. How crushing would that be? How crushing. And so Joseph is like, oh no, who is it? It's not Jacob, is it? I can't stand Jacob. <laughs> who is it? And she goes, it's the Holy Spirit. And I think for a moment, Joseph must've been like, whoo, dodged a bullet with that one. Oh my goodness, she's crazy, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a moment like that, but Joseph here decides to do something that I love because the penalty for this could be death. That's how serious this was. You read the Old Testament, penalty is death, right? So Joseph says, ah, I wanna be kind. I wanna be kind. You know how good that is? Because there's a tendency in us, when someone has hurt us, what do we want to do? We wanna hurt them. 
There's this sinister part of us that believes somehow when I'm in pain, if I make you in pain, I'll feel better. Does that actually work though? Nope. But we all have it. It's called vengeance. You hurt me, I hurt you. I'm gonna go on social media. I'm gonna go on Facebook. I'm gonna put this out there. I'm gonna let everybody know my side of the story. You hurt me, I hurt you. Vengeance, not Joseph. What does Joseph say? Even though he had to be just tore up inside, he goes, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna protect her. I'm gonna protect her. I think Joseph knew Proverbs 10, 12. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. And so he said, I still love you. I can't marry to you. Still love you. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna cover this situation because love covers a multitude of sins. We need hundreds of men to be like this. We need to be pushing against a culture that just exposes and, and puts stuff out there, and vengeance and all that. We need to be men that say, I'm gonna cover this. I'm not gonna expose you here. I'm not gonna talk about this. I'm not gonna tell people about this. I'm gonna cover this situation. I'm going to absorb this for you because I love you. That's what men should be doing. This is brilliant right here. This is what he does. He knows our life is gonna be ruined, no doubt about it, but he's not gonna be the one that does it. He's gonna cover her sins. Let's be men. The world needs men that cover sins, not expose sins. That's what Joseph does. So then here's what happens, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. I have the word fear circled in my Bible. What was he afraid of? What did he need to be afraid of? What's this fear have to do with anything here? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He has a dream. I have never had a dream where God spoke to me. Maybe I'm too cerebral, maybe I'm too stubborn, I don't know. But I cannot argue with the fact that over and over in the Bible, God seems to speak to people in dreams. Jacob and Pharaoh and Solomon and Zechariah, Pilate's wife, right here, Joseph, Ananias, Peter, Paul, over and over, right? In fact, Acts 2.17 says this about us, that in the last days, God will speak to us and the old men shall dream dreams. So maybe when I start dreaming dreams, then I will know I'm old. And I'm okay with that because the older I get, the more I like my sleep. So no problem. God's like, I can talk to you now. <laughs> Joseph has this crazy dream and he's told this, Mary, Mary. What is God asking him to do? Why does the angel say, don't be afraid? 
Because he's saying to Joseph, ruin your life. You can lie and say, oh, the baby was born five months premature, but the ancients were really smart about these things. They knew this, they were agricultural. They understood the rhythm much more than we do. You can try to lie that way, mm, not gonna happen, okay? The angel's saying, let your life be ruined. Ruin your life for your wife, ruin it. And if you know their story, that's what happens. Because when they go to dedicate Jesus, it's in Luke chapter two. When you would dedicate a newborn baby, if you were a rich person, you'd bring in a bowl. It was, let's have a barbecue, let's party, everyone has tons of food, celebration, I've got a son, right? If you're middle class, you'd bring in a lamb. Not as big of a party, but you could have some people there. If you were dirt poor, you brought in two little doves. No party, no party, just obeying the law. Guess what sacrifice Mary and Joseph brought when they dedicated Jesus? A bull, big party? No. Lamb, little party? No. Nope. Two turtle doves, because they were dirt poor. This decision ruined them financially, reputationally, socially. I think we need to hear that, because there is this idea that, hey, if you believe in Jesus, it's like getting an Amazon Prime account. Now you can get whatever you want, man. All the blessings are gonna flow down to you. Uh, be careful, be careful, because I don't think so. Sometimes when you believe Jesus, your citizen decisions will be in such contrast to this world that you'll be ruined. I've talked to professors that because of their faith in Jesus, they were let go from their jobs at universities because it's not popular to be a believer in Christians at a university. When I decided to leave engineering and become a pastor, my uncle, who works as a master of librarian studies up at Eastern Washington, and my aunt, who is a math professor at the same university, came down to make an intervention with me. They thought I'd lost it. You have to know this. Sometimes your kingdom decisions, kingdom decisions, will meet with this culture that we live in today, and there will be a clash. So right here, Joseph is, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Let your life be ruined. He had a choice. A tidy, nice little life of him being a carpenter and making middle-class wages and doing pretty good. Or a wife in Jesus and ruin. To be a coward or be courageous. He had that right there. I think this is important because maybe in our lifetime, we may start facing those kind of decisions in our lives. It may be that kind of world that we begin to live in. Because the inheritance that we are living off, a really good foundation, I'm not sure how much longer it can withstand this. So know this, sometimes in your life you will choose Christ and because you choose Christ, it will ruin you. So why would he do it? Listen to the words, listen to the words of the angel. He says, she will bear a son. He'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, here's why you can do it. Here's why you can allow yourself to be ruined. Save from their sins. Now, why do we need a savior? 
Doesn't the Old Testament have a formula that if you simply follow the Old Testament formula, you're good? Right? If you sin, you take a sacrifice, you make confession, you put your head on it, the animal's killed, and you have your sins forgiven, right? Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Uh, just do the law. 613 do's and don'ts. Just do that and you're good, right? You're saved. There's a formula for it. 100%. Jesus comes in the Sermon on the Mount and it's his first message. And he says this, hey, you've kept the law. You haven't murdered somebody, congratulations. Like I always love that one. Like the 10 commandments, aren't they kindergarten morality, right? Don't take things and don't kill people. That's about it, right? It's kindergarten morality and yet no one does it, right? So great job. You haven't murdered somebody. You haven't finally just popped off and smashed your neighbor in the head. Brilliant. But if you've hated somebody without a cause, you're a murderer. Ooh, it's not just 613 actions, it's 613 attitudes. Hey, you haven't committed adultery, wonderful. But if you've had lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Ooh, that's closer to home. That's closer to home. See, I think, I think Joseph knew something. He knew, I can't do it. I can't do this 613 thing. I can't do it, right? There's something in us, born into us, right? If you have children, you know we're not born right the first time, right? I had um, an 18-month-old son that if he did not get his way, he would do what we called the face rake. He would take both of his hands and just start to rake up and down your face, grabbing lips, noses, nostrils, eyelids, hair did not matter. 18 months old, where, pray tell, did he learn that? Right, if Charity gets something that I want, she gets the road, I'm not like, rah, rah, right? I mean, where does he learn that? We're not born right the first time. We can't do the 613. We need, we need a king. We need to be saved. That's what we need, okay? So he knew that. I think Joseph knew Galatians 3.24, that the law is a schoolmaster to drive you to Christ. That's its purpose. The law is to show you that you cannot do this. You need a king that will save you. That's what you need. That there's a snake that is wrapped around the human heart and its poison is being injected in us all the time with guilt, with revenge, with lust, and unless its head is crushed, we're doomed. Joseph knew it, okay? All right. And he's told, name the child Jesus. Joseph doesn't get a name, this child. How would you like that? How would you like to be unable to name your kid? Would you like that? Let's say the government gets corrupt. Let's just say possibly our government gets corrupt and they begin to tell you what you can and cannot name your child. Would you like that? No. Joseph is being told, this child is not your servant, which is what sons were back then. This child is your Lord. He is Emmanuel. He is God with you. So Joseph here, he weighs it, right? And he says the benefits outweigh the cost. 
I'll be ruined. I'll have my reputation ruined. I'll have my finances ruined. I'll have my social standing ruined. You know why there was no room for them in the inn? Do you know why? That's his birth town, right? He would have family there. You would go back to your birth town. You would stay with your family. Why can't Joseph stay with his family? Because he's been disowned. He's been dishonored. He took her shame. They became shamed. That's why. And so Joseph says, I will take Jesus and salvation of my sins and God with me above all else and I'll obey. To me, that's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas story. I'll take Jesus and salvation of sins above everything else. Everything else bows to this. Let every heart prepare room for that. That's the king. That's the God we serve. He's the one that we obey. And the costs, the costs are nothing compared to having the king. To me, that's the Christmas story. And so Jesus today, I pray for men that we would be those that allow our lives to be ruined for you, ruined for our wives, that we allow allegiance to you as king to be the highest cause of our lives. I pray that we would be those that cover a multitude of sins, that we own it even if it's not our fault, that we be Joseph kind of men. I pray for us as a community of faith, looking forward into 2021. I pray that we would trust that you, if you could use Rome to move a pregnant 15-year-old that we can trust you 100% completely with our own issues, our own country, our own state, our own city, that we would trust you, that you are king. I pray as we come to your table, I would pray that every soul in here knows that there's room for us at your table. There was no room for you because you want to make sure there was room for every single soul. That we can feast with the king of the universe. So if you have your elements, would you grab them right now? And we hold the bread this is called embodied remembrance. Okay, when I'm preaching, you just can sit there. When you take communion, you actually have to participate in it. You have to open. Sometimes that's a chore. And you got to get out this whatever it is. And you have to eat it and digest it. It's called embodied remembrance. It moves you. Well, that's what this is supposed to do. It's supposed to move you. God became flesh and he did and dwelt among us and he did and died for me and he did and has risen again and he did 
I should be moved by that. I should let that move me. Let's take and let's eat. Hold the cup. The cup that reminds us the chaos monster has been crushed. That because of Jesus, we're no longer slaves to sin. That this is the antidote to the venom of the enemy. That we drink forgiveness we drink cleansing allow him to be crushed in your heart let's drink together amen so you know what we do here we think prayer is really important and so we begin our service with prayer and we end our service with prayer If you need to be prayed for, we'll sing a song. After that song, there'll be people up here, men and women up here that would love to pray for you. Sometimes Christmas can be stressful. Sometimes you know you're going to be meeting with somebody that there's still vengeance in your heart toward them, where you want to get even with them, where you don't want to cover their multitude of sins. And you prayer. Jesus, help me to do that well. Maybe you have health problems. Maybe you have, I don't know. Come get prayed for. We'd love to pray for you. We do baptisms every Sunday. What a great, great week to be baptized. You want to be baptized and identify with King Jesus and say, he is my King and my Lord. And you do that right here. If you're doing well, awesome. Merry Christmas. No one has it better than us. Do you know that? No one has it better than us. We're kids of the King. I'm not worried about 2021. 2020 was awesome. I'll be honest with you. Would I have liked things, some things to be different? Sure. Did I have a miserable 2020? No, man. No. I live in a blessed spot. 2021, I expect the same thing. Why? Because I have a really good God who loves me and gave his best for me. So 2021 is going to be brilliant. Go enjoy Christmas. Would you stand for one final song?